we're in Genesis chapter 30, uh, verses 1 to 8. I'm titled it Sister Struggle, but in your bulletin this morning in the notes page, I think it says <laughs> Sibling rivalry, rivalry. That was what I initially uh, had entitled it, but um, yeah, anyhow, Sister Struggle this morning. Like many parents of grown children, Sadhana and Sanjeev Prasad of India are frustrated at the lack of grandchildren in the picture. But the Prasads resorted to a desperate tactic to force their son's hand. They're suing him. This is an actual picture of, of uh, his parents. The couple's legal representative said they raised him, educated him, made him capable, made him a pilot, which was expensive. The Prasads filed a suit against their son and daughter-in-law seeking damages in the amount of 50 million Indian rupees or about $643,000 in U.S., they see people, and this is a quote, they see people in their neighborhood playing with their grandchildren and feel like they should also have one. They said they didn't marry their son and daughter-in-law off so that they can live alone. So they said, in the next year, either give us a grandchild or give us compensation. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> How many of you felt, don't answer that question, <laughs> felt that way with your children this morning? According to CNN, such lawsuits are rare, but they highlight the strong familial traditions in India, where carrying on the family line is of utmost importance. Lawsuits like this reflect the inevitable conflicts that arise from generational shifts in perspective that include a stronger focus on work and career over raising a family. And so this couple was jealous of those around them who already had grandchildren. They wanted to experience the joy of playing with their own grandchildren instead of watching their neighbors doing that, right? They weren't content to wait on God's providential timing. They wanted to hurry the process up, right? So we're going to sue our, our son and daughter-in-law to say, you've got to give us a child or money. And so uh, they used the court system, a human scheme, in order to get what they wanted. And so, you know, I, when we think about discontentment and jealousy, it's easy to, to want what others have, especially when it comes to our siblings. I know that it happened in my own family with my brother and sister. I'm not going to give you any specifics this morning, but I can tell you that each one of us has wanted what the other sibling or siblings have had or have, right? It's easy to do that, right? The grass is always greener on the other side. But here's the rest of that phrase. And unless you're watering your grass... On your side. That's important, right? Grass is always green on your side. Unless you're watering your own grass, taking care of your own grass, right? Then it should be greener than anything you see on the other side. But most of the time, we're not aware of some of the hardships that go along with having a particular thing that, that we want. And if we knew the hardships that come along with it, we would probably not want it, right? So we're like, well, I want what my sibling has. And then if they sat down and told you how hard it was for them to get what they have, you'd be like, well, maybe I don't want that so much, right? But we don't always think about those things, right? We, we only think about and see the end result of something that they have or something that they've accomplished or something that they've done. We're going to kind of see that in the, in the closing illustration today as well. This is a, Dependence on God is an area where Judy and I just continue to grow. We've seen significant growth over the many years of our marriage. And in the early years, we depended on God to provide for our monthly bills and to put food on the table. You know, we had tube steaks. We were really fancy, right? Hot dogs, that's what a tube steak is. It's just how you call it, mate. It makes it so much better, right? We had casseroles with whatever noodle, vegetable, and canned meat we had in the cupboard. 
right? It was casserole. It was amazing. <laughs> we didn't go out to eat much. But, you know, we just trusted God to provide. We depended on Him to take care of us. When we started having children, we had to depend on God to guide and direct us in raising them. As older adults, we're depending on God to provide wisdom and counseling our children as they go out on their own, have children of their own, change jobs, return to school, start their own businesses, and all kinds of things. I love the fact that my kids still call and say, what do you think about this? How do I do that? I just had a call the other day from one of my boys saying, how do I do this? And I'm like, oh, this is how you do it. Oh, that's it? But they'd never experienced it before, right? They just hadn't. And so they were like, how do we do this? Fortunately, old dad has done, has done those things time and time again. There are times over the years where we try to depend on human schemes in order to provide for our needs, but inevitably we return to God for help and dependence. And so all of us have a time in our lives when we were discontent and probably jealous of a sibling, a friend, a neighbor, a fellow student, or a coworker. It's part of our human condition to want what others have. Every one of us can probably remember a time when we used a human scheme instead of depending on God. And so last week, Pastor Mark shared with us that Leah had four sons by Jacob because God had opened her womb. Rachel's womb remained shut at this point, and it caused her to become jealous of her sister Leah. And in her jealousy, she blamed Jacob and then devised a plan that would enable her to have children by her maidservant. She was not willing to wait on God's providential timing, but tried to take control of the situation. This human scheme would not provide the contentment that she was hoping for, as we'll see. She needed to depend on God and seek Him instead of trying to work it out on her own. She needed to learn what our big idea is today, and it's a quote from one of the commentaries, never replace dependence on God with human schemes. We need to trust Him and depend upon Him for everything. And so the same is true for us, right? Not just for, uh, for Rachel, but for us as well, that we, ne we should never replace dependence on God with human schemes. And so as you allow that a big idea to kind of resonate with your heart and mind today, would you just bow your heads with me as we commit it to the Lord in prayer? Lord, we just come to you today in, in, in joy and anticipation of being able to just dig into your word and to hear from you today. Lord, we want to hear your voice. And I pray that that would be the case today. That, that your people this morning would not hear my voice. They would not hear my words or my thoughts, but only your words and your thoughts, your principles, your ideas, your challenges to us, Lord God, your encouragement. I pray that through that, they would go from this place uh, ready to face another week, Lord God. I pray that you would bless them, that you would open their hearts and minds through your Holy Spirit. And so we just commit this message to you now for your honor and glory. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at two points today. Verses 1 and 2, we're going to talk about sadness. And then verses 3 through 8, we're going to talk about surrogate. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 30. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 as we talk about sadness today. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing, children for, and bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I... In the place of God who has kept you from having children. And so we see the sadness and frustration a little bit there as well. Rachel became jealous of Leah because Leah was having children and Rachel was not. Rachel's uh, jealousy stemmed from the pressures of her culture. 
Gango and Bramer say, in a society that considered children, especially sons, symbols of wealth and power, jealousy loomed as the inevitable result of Rachel's dilemma. And Rachel wasn't alone. We read so many others that were barren or infertile. And that was just almost a death sentence for women in this culture. It's like not to be able to bear children was so, so difficult. Neither sister is content with what God has given them. Golden Gate says, one wife has children but no love. The other has love but no children. And they're competing with each other, one for love and the other for children. Isn't that interesting? They're not even competing for the same thing. They're competing for two different things because they see that the grass is greener on the other side, right? They're like, well, I want what Rachel has. That's what Lee is saying. I want to be loved by Jacob, not just loved less. I want to be loved in the same level that, that Jacob loves Rachel. And Rachel is saying, I, I appreciate Jacob's love for me, and I'm glad he loves me more than, than Leah, but I want children, right? I don't have what my sister has, and so I want that. And for Rachel, love was not enough when Leah was bearing sons for Jacob. And for Leah, children were not enough when Jacob clearly loved Rachel more than her. And so the first principle that we see today here is that contentment comes when we treasure what God has given us. Where are you at today? Are you dealing with discontentment? Is there something that someone else has that you wish you had? Is jealousy gaining a foothold in your life? What does Scripture have to say about jealousy and envy? Let's look at it today. James chapter 3, verse 16. Sue read uh, a couple of verses leading up to this one, but it says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, so there's envy, that's the jealousy, and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Well, that's what's going on with Jacob or with Rachel and Leah, right? There's strife in the family. There's a struggle that's going on. James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 tell us this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, um, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So again, this is like the desires within us is what's causing this jealousy. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Proverbs 27, 4 says this, Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Again, Proverbs 27, 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3 tells us this, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you were still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? So Paul tells the Galatian believers that one of the works of the flesh is jealousy, and that if we do any of those works of the flesh, that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. So Scripture has a lot to say about jealousy, doesn't it? It's like, don't do it. Don't be jealous. Be content. And so maybe you're ready for this first next step today. It's on the back of your communication card, and that's to confess my jealousy to the Lord and ask Him to forgive me. That's the first step. We have to admit it, recognize it, confess it before the Lord. And then the second next step today, you might be ready to take um, after that, especially um, after you confess, but if you don't need to confess any of that, we just need to treasure what the Lord has given me and thank Him. Isn't that, that's so important. 
So often we forget about God's many blessings, right? How he's provided for us. We don't treasure those things that he's given to us. And sometimes we just need to stop and reflect. Just stop and reflect and think about what he's done, what he's provided, how he's taken care of you. Boy, that can bring such deep contentment, can it? When we recognize, God, you've provided in the past, and I'm trusting you to provide in the future. And we can be content in that. We can experience contentment when we depend on God instead of other human beings. Rachel was depending on Jacob instead of the Lord to provide only what the Lord could provide for her. So Rachel confronts Jacob while, he is, while she is sad and hurting from the jealousy she's experiencing. She wants immediate gratification. Rachel is demanding that Jacob give her children or she'll die. Now, obviously, she will not die if she doesn't have children, but this is the extent, it really shows the extent of her sadness, her pain, and her social disgrace. She's feeling all of that. And in that, in that frustration, in that sadness, in, in uh, the disgrace that she's experiencing, she lashes out at Jacob. And we have the privilege of knowing the whole story from start to finish here. The Lord will open Rachel's womb and she will have two sons. But just a side note, Rachel will die after giving birth to her second child, Benjamin. Interesting, she's like, give me children or I'll die. Well, and her second child is in birthing him. She loses her life. Rachel does not have the foreknowledge that she will eventually uh, have her own children with Jacob. She's impatient with God's timing and takes her anger and frustration out on Jacob. There are two principles here that we don't want to miss. The first one is this. God's, uh, God's providential timing is best. She's trying to get ahead of the, ahead of the game here, um, and God still works through that. It's amazing. We've seen that all throughout uh, Genesis here. But when we are hurting and, and upset, it's nearly impossible to see that God's providential timing is best, isn't it? We're in the midst of something that's really, really difficult. It's hard for us to step back and go, oh, God knew all about this. This didn't come as a surprise to him. He's, he's not caught off guard. He, he's still working. It's hard for us to do that, isn't it? I know it is for me. It's hard when I'm in the middle of something difficult to be able to step back and trust in a God who's all-powerful, who's all-knowing, who's ever-present with us. And that's why we have to have close friends or family members that we can trust to point us back to the truths of who God is and what He has promised to do. We need accountability partners that will remind us to never replace dependence on God with human schemes and to wait patiently on God's perfect timing. So a couple of questions for you today. Do you have those kind of people in your life right now? If you don't... I would encourage you to look for those kind of people. If you do, hold on to them. Do you need to trust in God's providential timing for something that you have been impatiently waiting on? The second principle from this part is misplaced anger can hurt relationships. Kyle and Dillich in their commentary said, instead of praying either directly or through her husband as Rebecca had done to Jehovah who had promised his favor to Jacob... She, Rachel, said to Jacob in passionate displeasure, get me children or I'll die, to which he angrily replied, am I in God's stead? Which means, am I equal to God or am I God? Who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? So what he's saying is, can I, a powerless man, give thee what the Almighty God has withheld? He's like, how can I do that? The cool thing here with Jacob is he's, 
He's recognizing the sovereignty of God, the power of God. He says, why are you looking to me? I'm a powerless, worthless human being. I don't have any, any control over this. I don't have any power to open your womb. Only God does. I can't be in his place. I'm not him. That's pretty cool, right? He said, God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. We see that both Rachel and Jacob speak without thinking and allow misplaced anger to hurt each other. Rachel was actually angry with God because she knew who had the power to give and take life. She knew that Jacob did not have that power. But in the heat of the moment, she blames Jacob. And Jacob speaks impulsively when verbally attacked by Rachel. Don't we do that too? We get attacked and our initial reaction is always to attack back. Wearsby says this, when Rachel needed, what Rachel needed wasn't a lecture on theology or gynecology. She needed the kind understanding of her husband and the encouragement that only his love could provide. So is there something that you're angry with God about today, but you have taken it out on a loved one? I just want to encourage you today, it's not too late to just go back to that person, apologize, and ask for forgiveness. Say, hey, listen, I, was, I just said something in the heat of the moment. I was angry. I was upset. I wasn't thinking clearly, and I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. I love you. That's so important. Maybe that's that third next step that you need to take today, and that's to apologize and seek forgiveness for taking out my anger on a loved one. Have you been verbally attacked for something that you do not have any control over? How did you react? Did you attack back? Or did you provide understanding and encouragement with love? And again, it's not too late to go back to that person and provide that loving encouragement and understanding. Maybe that's the step that you need to take today, and that's to provide understanding and encouragement with love to someone who has verbally attacked me or hurt me. And it's important that we work to restore relationships that have been damaged by misplaced anger. That's so important. We have to do that. We don't want that rift between a husband and wife. We don't want that rift between us and one of our children, adult children, or another family member, a sibling, or something like that. No, let's bring uh, ourselves together. Let's apologize from that misplaced anger. Let's restore those relationships. In her desire for immediate gratification to best her sister... Rachel hatches a plan to ensure that she will have children. She offers her maidservant Bilhah to Jacob as a third wife and surrogate mother for her children. So let's look at verses 3 to 8 as we talk about our second point this morning, which is surrogate. Then she, that's Rachel, <clears throat> said, Here is Bilhah, my maidservant. Sleep with her so that she can have bear children for me, and that uh, through her I too can build a family. So she gave him... Uh, gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. <clears throat> so, as we think about this, you know, our big idea comes right into play here. Never replace dependence on God with human schemes. But that's what Rachel's trying to do here. We see her plan. In the ancient Near East, it was not uncommon for a wife who was experiencing infertility to offer her maidservant to her husband so that the children born to the maidservant would be counted as the children of the husband and wife and not the husband and the maidservant. 
We will see this played out as Rachel is the one who names the two sons born to Bilhah. They are her, child, they are her children by adoption there. In essence, Jacob and Rachel have adopted them. And so two things that set Rachel apart from Sarah here is this. There does not seem to be tension between Rachel and Bilhah after she gives birth, while there was uh, certainly tension between Sarah and Hagar, right? Sarah says to Abraham, you tell her to go away. <laughs> like, get out of here. And then we find Hagar out in the wilderness, right? The angel of the Lord comes to meet with her, tells her to go back to Sarah. The second thing is Rachel accepts the two boys as hers, while Sarah does not accept Ishmael at all. Again, eventually, when Ishmael is making fun of or uh, of um, Isaac, Rachel, or, sorry, Sarah goes to Abraham and says, "You need to send Hagar and Ishmael away, like permanently. They need to be gone. He's never going to inherit any of your wealth." And so, while Sarah wasn't accepting of her maidservant's children or child. Rachel is. And then we see Bilhah's babies here. Dan is the first one. Rachel's reaction to the firstborn child to Bilhah is recognition that God has vindicated her and has listened to her plea. It seems as though Rachel has been praying for a child, but perhaps has been praying for a child, but perhaps this only happened after she gave Bilhah to Jacob as a third wife. Because it doesn't seem like she's doing that before. She's like saying to Jacob, Give me children or I'm gonna die. Like, she hadn't turned to God at that point, but then when she hatches this plan, she's like, well, maybe God will bless this plan, so I'm going to cry out to him. And so she begins to pray at that point. Dan's name comes from how Rachel felt after his birth. Dan literally means, God has vindicated me. Hamilton says, in such context, the verb Dan signifies justice for an individual who finds herself in a heretofore hopeless and helpless state. So she's like, before, I can't have children. But now I have through my maidservant. So God has vindicated me. So she names her child. Vindication, basically. Rachel was equally excited about the birth of a second son to Bilhah. Bilhah conceived again and, and, gave birth, and, and birthed another son for Jacob. Rachel obviously perceived that she and Leah were in a competition. But again, they were competing for two different things. Rachel was competing for children and Leah was competing for love. And I find it fascinating that Rachel would declare that she had won the struggle between her and Leah after having only two adopted sons. Perhaps this is an indication that the narrative is not in chronological order. Last week, Pastor Mark shared with you, Leah had four sons, right? We don't know the time frame with which that that happened. We don't know the time frame with which which, uh, Rachel gives Bilhah to Jacob as a third wife, It's probable that Leah had two sons and then Bilhah had two sons before Leah had two more sons. Maybe that's why Rachel was claiming victory at this point because it doesn't make sense any otherwise. You have four kids and I have two. I've won. What? That doesn't make any sense at all. Where's your math skills here? What's going on? So the chronological time frame is not spelled out specifically in the text, so we're kind of left to speculate a little bit here. Rachel names uh, the second son Naphtali, which means my struggle. And it appears as though Bilhah stops having children after Dan and Naphtali. No other children are recorded for her in Scripture. And so as we come uh, to the end of the message today, let's just reflect again on what we've learned today and ask some questions. Are you jealous about something right now? Do you need to take time to confess that to the Lord and seek His forgiveness? Are you treasuring what the Lord has given you and, and have you thanked Him for those things? That's important. 
Do you need to apologize and seek forgiveness for taking out your anger and frustration on someone else? Or do you need to provide loving encouragement and understanding to someone who is sad, hurting, and struggling right now? As a body of believers, is there jealousy in the church that needs to be addressed and dealt with? What are things we need to treasure that God has given to us as a body of believers? Have we thanked Him for it? And how can we, as a church, provide loving encouragement and understanding to those in our community who are experiencing sadness, hurt, and struggle? Let me read this closing illustration for you today. Research studies indicate that up to 45% of adult siblings have relationships marked by rivalry or distance. A story from the Wall Street Journal featured Al Golden, 85, who still chokes up when he talks about his twin brother, Elliot, who died three years ago. The brothers shared a room growing up at Brooklyn, New York, graduated from the same college, and then married within a month of each other in 1947. Yet, Mr. Golden still remembers how their father often compared their grades, asking one or the other, how, could you, how, how come you got a B and your brother got an A? Elliot Golden became a lawyer and eventually a state Supreme Court judge. Al Golden went into the mirror business, then sold life insurance. He says he always envied his brother's status and secretly took pleasure in knowing that he was a better fisherman and owned a big boat. Once, Elliot asked him, I'm a lawyer. How come you make more money than me? Mr. Golden says he meant, how come you are making more than me when you are not as successful? But it made me feel good. One day, Elliot accused him of not doing enough to take care of their ailing mother. After the conversation, Al didn't speak to his brother for more than a year. It might have been the buildup of jealousies over the years, he says. His brother repeatedly reached out to him, as did his nieces and nephews, but Mr. Golden ignored them. Then one day, Al received an email from his brother telling a story about two men who had a stream dividing their properties. One man hired a carpenter to build a fence along the stream, but the carpenter built a bridge by mistake. That's not a very good carpenter, right? <laughs> build a fence, build a bridge. Anyhow, <clears throat> Mr. Golden thought about the email, then wrote back, I'd like to walk over the bridge. I missed him. Mr. Golden says now, I never had the chance to miss him before. It's like we need to restore relationships, right? These sisters are struggling with each other. They're in, in a competition for two different things. <laughs> they need to come together. They need to be content with what God has given them. We need to be content with what God's given us. We need to thank Him for that. And in our anger and frustration, when we've lashed out, we need to ask for forgiveness. And we need to lovingly provide encouragement to those that are hurting. And so as we think about that this morning, would you just bow your heads with me as the worship team comes and for the closing song. But Lord, we, uh, we just cry out to you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that we can see in Scripture things that we deal with ourselves, Lord God, that we struggle with in our own human nature. And we just ask, Lord God, that by your Holy Spirit this morning, you would just work in our hearts and minds, that we would take the next steps that we need to take today so that you would be honored and glorified. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us?